Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, November 21st, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going this week? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So as you know, at the time we're recording this, I've just spent the last several days touring the East Coast of the U.S. and um, getting to hang out with some Clear Admit team members today as, as we record this, going to see some folks, but also got a chance to um, set foot on the campus and connect with admissions teams at Tuck and HBS and MIT, Yale, NYU, Wharton, et cetera. So it's been uh, a whirlwind week. Uh, you can probably hear in my voice that I'm a little tired because of the jet lag, <laughs> jet lag and and just like sort of tooling around. But it's been so much fun to see a lot of these colleagues in admissions that that you and I both know and and just, yeah, just to kind of get updates on how things are going and yeah, just lots of fun. <laughs> well, I, I can't leave it at that, Graham. You've got to spill the beans. What did you learn? Uh, well, I mean, so number one, I learned that it's still really energizing to be on the campus of these programs when school is in session. I mean, I, you know, it had been a while, right, because of COVID and everything else. And so, you know, just the hustle and bustle in the hallways and and the diversity of candidates, you know, from all over the world, the, the number of languages that I heard while walking the hallways of these, <laughs> of these schools is just, you know, out of, off the charts. But as far as what I heard admissions wise, um, you know, I'm hearing that, you know, there's, there's definitely, we're still, no one's seeing any kind of spike in application volume due to the, you know, w- we keep talking about a recession and, and how sometimes that means more, more apps, but we're not there yet. You know, I think schools are still kind of flat or down and yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, obviously round two hasn't yet happened and, and, and mostly I just heard, you know, people, the, the, the folks I'm meeting with at these schools, I really appreciate their time because they're, they're super busy right now because they're trying to make decisions on round one, right? So they've got their kind of heads buried in, in applications. And, and so, yeah, that was the main stuff that I picked up on. So you, 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 you've got nothing to report, but you had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, you know. <laughs> not, nothing, for pub, nothing for public nothing for consumption. Public. There you go. <laughs> um, but in any event, no, it's, it, it really is. It's been a while since I've been, you know, yeah. even places like Hanover. I don't know. Have you ever been to Tuck? I don't know if you've made it up there. I haven't. I know the area. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I mean, yeah. I was a couple weeks late for the fall colors and all that, but it was still, it's just really nice to, to see, you know, these programs in action. And yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's see what's going on though. What are candidates thinking about right now? Cause I guess we're, everyone's kind of interviewed or is that's nearly done. And then I, I know, yeah, we've got decisions coming. There, 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 is st- there are still some folks waiting for interview invites and still yeah. some folks getting interview invites. Okay. Um, I saw Hass, for example, last week, um, still releasing a few Stanford looks like they're still releasing a few, um, and, and so forth. So the, the, these programs that are rolling interview invites out are still doing it, even if it's just a trickle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does make me suspect that, you know, apps might be down a little bit because, you know, schools are still sort of like really extending that, uh, you know, outreach in terms of getting more folks into the interview pipeline. But I mean, uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, a lot of the activity is just about sort of hurry up and wait, sit, sit on your hands, you know, you, you, you do the interview and, and, you know, the results will, will come out. It's going to be about two more weeks time and we'll see a whole flurry of decisions from round one. So, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a tense time, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Now, I think um, 
Well, I mean, yeah, we're going to really, basically after the Thanksgiving holiday, which is this Thursday, and I do want to, I should take a moment and just wish everyone that's listening who celebrates a happy Thanksgiving later this week. Um, but it, it is, it's really, you know, we get into decision. I was actually talking with Yale and I, I was reminded by the team there that, you know, they're one of the earlier schools in terms of giving those round one decisions out other than, you know, say a Columbia that has early, you know early decision or whatever. But, and I, I think, I can't remember the date, but it's like during that first week of December or something. So yeah, it's really, we're getting close. Um, mm. But I think you're absolutely right. And we're going to see, I, I'd be really curious to see what the wait lists look like this year in round one and, you know, just what percentage of, of you know, candidates get waitlisted and whether that's any different than prior years. So well, we will see. Um, I did forget to say last week, Alex, I told you after we, after we stopped recording last week that, um, the, the last episode of this podcast was the 175th wiretaps episode. Now everyone knows we do other episodes with admissions directors or just one-off things, but in terms of wiretaps, this is the 176th now. And so that means we've profiled, I counted like, you know, over what, 525 candidacies or decision dilemmas over the years that we've been doing this. So I just wanted to mention that. And in the spirit of that, we actually got a review. The first review we've had in a little while. Now, granted, we did ask this person to write a review probably 20 times. So I, I, I was kind of expecting, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, this is a, a review that we got from a, a, a listener who is based in the UK and the title of the review reads, Favorite Show, Best Hosts, and Community. And she writes, I should have reviewed a long time ago, but cannot recommend this podcast enough. If you are an MBA hopeful, this is the best place for you. I can't tell you the hours I've spent listening to this show or pouring over Graham and Alex's website. By the way, it's not our, <laughs> it's clearadmit.com, but I guess, yeah. that's. Uh, <laughs> and then she says, the advice and insights they give are second to none. Thanks for being my go-to podcast every Monday and even old episodes during the week. I, I, and always being so receptive and thoughtful when I've had questions and comments. Even once I finish my applications, I plan on continuing to listen and would love to further get into the Clear Admit community. Thanks for all that you do and, and keep on kicking on. And then Alex, you're going to love this. It then says, P.S. You're welcome at any CPFC home game. So I think we now know that this person works for a football club, and I'm not even a football person, but I think that's Crystal Palace Football Club, right? That is correct. Yeah. So, so we should go to a football game. You can explain the rules to me. <laughs> no, it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah. If if, if, if the Man City has an away game at Crystal Palace, I'd be delighted to go because we'd probably <laughs> score a hat full of goals and really, really embarrass the home fans. But what oh, are we going to do? <laughs> now, do, do I'm going to ask a really dumb question? Do they do play each other? They're in the same thing, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. So Actually, they do they, play. They're each a good team. They. Um, they got a really good manager, I think, Patrick Vieira. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So, so who and, happens to be French? Just to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, I don't know if there's anything in our, you know, lengthy contracts that precludes us from taking listeners up on such offers, but I suspect not. So maybe at some point we should get up to London and go to a game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, I do want to thank her for that review. Um, yeah, really, really nice, kind, kind words. So, <laughs> uh, over on the website, we have a few things to get through. So we we published a couple more real humans, one about uh, HEC in Paris, and the others about Washington University, the Olin School of Business in St. Louis. So if you're into those programs or thinking about uh, applying to those programs, you should read the student profiles that we've put up there. Lots of great tidbits. And then Alex, I've got two employment reports that we should sort of zip through here. One is from Harvard. 
and one is from Duke. So it's that time of year, right, where schools are sharing the results of the most recent graduating class. Uh, as you might imagine, the numbers are great. We've we've seen this over the last you know few weeks here as we've been profiling these reports. But I'll start with HBS. I'll give you the facts and figures, and then be curious to get any thoughts that you have, Alex. So with Harvard, um, ninety five percent of the class had a job uh, offer three months out, and ninety percent had accepted. And actually, I probably misspoke there because it's not ninety five percent of the um, class. It's ninety five percent of those who were looking for work, right? So, and, and that's always the case, right? And so, what's funny and interesting about HBS is that they actually tell you the number. So, not all schools reveal this, but in the case of HBS, seventy one percent of the class was like looking for work and using, you know, the student, um, you know, the, the career office and all that stuff. Whereas twenty nine percent were not seeking employment, and they even break that down further and tell you that. Within that 29%, there was a big chunk that started companies. So there's like 13% um, that of, of that batch that are starting a firm. And then there's another big chunk, I think 12%, it says here, uh, are company sponsored or, or you know already employed. So maybe they had their own company that they were running before and are, are just continuing to do that or whatever. So um, just a little background. I know those two numbers don't add up to 29%. So there's there's some other little tidbit or piece that that must be something. But in any event, just good to know in terms of the percentage that are seeking employment in the first place. The median salary is $175,000. That was uh, only one fifty last year. So that's come up a little bit. Median signing bonus remains thirty k for those getting a signing bonus. Uh, and now, Alex, I'm going to give you the... <laughs> The breakdowns in terms of the industry and region. So we'll start with industries. Financial services was at 34%. Um, that's pretty much unchanged uh, from last year because they were 35% last year. Consulting, 26%. That was up 3% from last year. Uh, technology, flat at 19%. Healthcare, 5%. It was 6% last year, so very similar. And then manufacturing, 5% also was uh, 4% last year. So very similar um, there. In terms of the regional stuff, 47% of the class landed in the Northeast, 24% on the West Coast, 6% South, Midwest grabbed 5% of the class, the Southwest 5%, and the Mid-Atlantic 4%. Uh, another 9% of the class went overseas. That number was 13% last year. Um, but other than that, like there were no real changes in the regional placements. They're really steady. Um, so, yeah, what do you think about these HBS figures? I mean, obviously, the 175K is very impressive. Yeah. Um, and I assume that might be the top number. Might um, be. I remember Columbia and Stern coming in very high, but I don't remember them hitting 175. So that might be the top number. Yeah. Um, one thing that I always find interesting about HBS is this West Coast number 24 percent mm -hmm. that makes harvard probably the second largest school for for alumni networks in california probably quite close to stanford right because of the large class yeah. yeah i mean if you're looking in raw numbers and you want to be on the west coast going to going to harvard's got to be a good thing yeah yeah. yeah. And, and the other thing that jumps out at me with Harvard, and I know um, we won't get into all of it, but the financial services number, you know, 34% yeah. is a big number, but it's really important to know that the lion's share of that 34% are going into private equity and venture capital. 
Yeah. Um, it's actually yeah. a pretty small percent doing investment banking or other kind of financial services. So I just want to mention that because sometimes, sometimes people hear financial services and they assume that's an all investment banking or something, right? So, so, so yeah, and, and that number uh, makes sense because the, the percents going into financial services or a lot of the other top programs has generally been much smaller and trending down right. um, over the last several years because it's essentially been investment banking. Right. But with the very, very top schools, they've got a higher proportion of, of, of like you say, private equity, venture capital and, and sort of um, buy side stuff. So, um, you know, therefore that number is, is significantly higher at, 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 at Harvard. So it doesn't surprise me. And I think Stanford's financial services number is quite high too for exactly um, the same reason. Exactly, yeah, makes sense, yeah. yeah. So um, let's turn to Duke and just go through their numbers too. So uh, again, you know, everything's pretty fantastic. So it's, it's really been an amazing run here that these schools are on. So Duke, three months out, 98% of those seeking employment had an offer and 97% accepted an offer. Uh, there were, uh, let's see here, the median salary was 160, um, which is up from 141 last year. And again, that signing bonus seems to really hover at around 30K as the median. Uh, in terms of the industries and regions, for consulting, 36%. That's up from 32% last year. Technology, 23% took jobs in tech, but that's down from 27% uh, the year prior. Financial services, 16%. That's pretty much flat. It was 17 last year. Uh, healthcare, 11%. Again, it was 10% the year before. And then consumer packaged goods, 4%. It's down a little bit. It was 6% the year prior. So those are the kind of industries. And then when we look at regional placements, we've got 29% heading to the Northeast. That's up. Um, it was only 23% last year. 25% uh, heading to the West Coast. That's down a little bit. It was 28% the year prior. 17% uh, in the South versus 21% the year prior. Southwest uh, drew 14%. And I, I feel like we need to talk about this. I need to look at it. I can't remember if the Southwest includes Texas, but I believe it might. So there's 14% yeah. going there versus 9% um, the year prior. The Midwest drew 6%. That was actually 11% the year prior. So kind of a drop there. And then Mid-Atlantic, 9%. It's pretty much flat from the year prior. International, 3% of their students go internationally. And I think I neglected to say it with Harvard, but they're actually sending about 9% overseas, so a little bit more than Duke. But yeah, what do you think of Duke's numbers? You're repeating yourself, Greg, because I do think you did say that in the oh, national I did? number okay. for Harvard. So. All right. <laughs> I've been, I'm, you know, I don't even know what time <laughs> just, it is. At this just point. trying to prove that I do pay attention to what you say. Um, <laughs> Got it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, these numbers are very good too. Um, it's really interesting. That 160K is probably... Uh, very comparable, if not, um, well, it's outstanding for that sort of tier of program. Um, so we're, we're certainly seeing a good degree of inflation in the um, average starting salaries this season for, for yeah. all the top programs. I think they've all bumped up their, their record average starting salary um, and, and so forth. And, and in the case of Duke, I mean, that consulting number was up. That's going to have an, an, an inflation, a further effect on the overall average starting salary, and so forth. So, um, so yeah, no, I mean, very, very, very good. I'm just a little bit concerned, Graham. All these numbers. I mean, it's folks. You know, tech has been a big um, 
um, growth area for top MBA programs in terms of career services. And the news coming out of the tech sector over the last couple of weeks has been pretty horrifying. So I'm not sure how that's going to impact um, the, the current students that are recruiting for tech, um, as well as the these students that we're mentioning now, they've just graduated and moved into tech and, and what their situation is. Because, I mean, we've heard Amazon, um, Facebook, obviously Twitter. I mean, Twitter's just gone completely bonkers <laughs> lately. But, um, but, but there seems to be a huge... It seems to be there was over employment during covid um and and there's been a reversal yeah and i also i mean i just kind of wonder and we, and we we need to get into our candidates this week but i i do yeah. wonder about tech and so when you think about like um past booms and busts and stuff you know the banks and the consulting firms they have this long-standing tradition and and sort of programs in place where they're hiring a certain number of people a year they, they move it up and down but there's this long tradition and almost like a you know, sort of a path um, that you follow when you're when you're an MBA grad and you join one of these firms, and and you know the tech companies are newer to this game, and I sort of wonder if some belt tightening happens, are they more likely to really let the bottom fall out and not, you know, they don't have this kind of long-standing tradition yet of of um, bringing these folks in. So I, I don't know. I just wonder if um, we could see further declines here. Yeah. I mean, I you know it already is on the decline. That's kind of a leading indicator, and and. Frankly, these folks who just were hired were hired, you know, before a lot of the bad kind of news has been coming out. So, yeah, we'll have to see. Quite, quite honestly, Graham, I think it's a great topic for a podcast do, doing with a career services director at one of the yes. top schools and really yeah. pick their brain. Yeah, yeah, we should do that. Okay, I will look into it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's get into the candidates. Unless you had anything else uh, for this week in terms of Let, general news, let's kick on. <laughs> all right, here we go. So this is <laughs> Wiretaps candidate number one. So our first candidate uh, is applying in round two, um, right now gearing up to submit all these applications and work on them. They want to start next fall. Um, this candidate's really interesting in that she is an attorney. Uh, she would like to pivot and do maybe consulting after business school. She's got some of the usual suspects, Bain, BCG, McKinsey, and PwC on the list. The GMAT score is a 720. Her GPA was a 3.38. Uh, that's from undergrad. She also has a law degree. Uh, has been working for three and a half years, located in Kansas, and probably wants to stay in the Midwest, she indicates. Um, it's a really interesting story. Before I tell that, I mean, she's got 11 schools on the target list. And so those include you know, Columbia, Cornell, Dartmouth, Duke, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, Stanford, Booth, Wharton, and Yale. So kind of a who's who of the sort of top 10 type you know, programs. Um, she is female, Asian, and is an attorney practicing law. She actually is a litigator in the public sector defending a state's interest in civil litigations. But here's the kind of interesting wrinkle is that she was born and raised in South Korea and came over to the U.S. to do some coursework as an undergrad, but did, wasn't even, I think, planning on kind of earning a degree here. I think it was more of like coming for a bit, but she ended up staying, doing undergrad here, then getting a law degree, uh, and, you know, from a pretty good state university um, with respect to the law degree. And so, yeah, just kind of a non-traditional path um, in terms of, you know, and, and has loved practicing law, but also realizes that she wants to expand her horizons and try to interact with uh, more than just lawyers. And, and, you know, but she does like the kind of 
um, strategic aspects of like researching a case and making a presentation and she sort of started to think about how there's some parallels in consulting you know where you're working with a client and you're you know kind of doing presentations and and doing you know digging and in, digging into sort of figure out things and so that's kind of her background I do want to mention she wrote that uh, she that she listened to this podcast for the first time she writes uh, first time listening to your podcast today and I decided to write to you. So she listened to the show and then put her profile up on the site, which is great. Uh, but Alex, what do you make of this candidacy? You know, just it's it's interesting, but you know, the numbers don't jump off the page either. And she's got some really good schools on the list. Yeah, I mean, this is um, re- I think super interesting for a few different reasons. But yeah, the the, the personal profile, the sort of the the, the life story and, and that kind of stuff is going to be quite interesting. I think sort of being first generation coming over from South Korea, um, like you say, staying. Um, and so obviously starting off sort of picking up the language skills and staying on completing an undergrad, um, going to law school, going into law, um, doing that for, for what, three years or, or whatever it is, three and a half years. Um, and, you know, there's probably some really interesting stories all, all sort of surrounding that that progress, I, I think it, it will help her really stand out a little bit um, in that regard. She's got the 720 on the GMAT, which is going to be super helpful. I mean, it's a very good score. It might be a little bit below the very top programs, but it certainly um, helps help, helps her a little bit, I think. Um, I'm a little bit concerned that she's just now starting to look at applying <laughs> she's yeah. targeting round two which is great because you know round three is a bit bit of a you know a bit of a wash anyway um but she's got you know she she's basically got all the top programs on a list uh, because you know quite rightly i guess she'd be happy in any of the top programs so the key here is in round two she can't apply to all the top programs she's going to have to really narrow that list but keep the spread of the list. Um, so she'll have one or two of the M7, you know, or two or three of the M7, two or three of the top 16 or something like that, get it sort of narrowed down a little bit. Um, she needs to really think long and hard about what what's the long-term goal look like. I really see the parallel between what she's doing to the idea of starting a consulting career, but a better candidate's going to have a real vision for their long-term growth Mm-hmm. And why they're doing all this as a step, stepping stones to get to that long-term goal. So I'd like to hear about that a little bit more. I'd also like to hear what her sort of real situation is. Because if, let's say, and we've talked about this with other candidates um, in, on the podcast in, in more recent weeks. But if she's in a good work situation and she can continue to sort of grow and learn um, as, as, as a lawyer over the next year, um, it might well be the case that she would come in next season in round one, have a stronger candidacy, simply because she'll have spent more time in the process and really figured out some stuff that's important, um, and then really go all in on the right programs to target um, in, in sort of in round one. Now, I say all this, Graham, in as much as if that's potentially appealing, then in round two this season, just apply to a few reach schools. Mm-hmm. Just tip your toe in the water 
uh, yeah, obviously put all you can into it, but don't be applying to seven or eight schools, but apply to maybe three or four this season. Go all in. Make sure that they're more reach target versus target safety. If they if you don't get 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 the nod this season, go all in next season in round one. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because she has three and a half years right of yeah. work experience. So it's not like she's um, you know kind of. Although I guess actually now I want to take that back. She also would have gone to law school for three years. She's gone to law school too. Yeah. 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 So I guess she's not, I mean, so she's, um, I guess, what does that make her 28 or so? Right. So she's, yeah. So I don't know. It is a tough call. I, I guess given the application volume things we're seeing, I would very much be in favor of her, you know, as you say, apply to a few in round two, do your yeah. best. Don't, don't apply to 11 schools in, in round two here, but but get in some apps to the schools that you would really, you know, cherish attending. Now, she did talk about how, you know, if she can get into a top 16 type school on a big scholarship, that would be very acceptable to her, like she's talking mm-hmm. about. And I, I get that because she probably has debt from law school. I mean, I understand that. And so, um, yeah, I would apply to a few in, in, in round two this year, but also know that she could be very competitive, like you're saying. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, remember, she took the GMAT and she... Just took it once and got a 720. And so that makes me think, wow, imagine if she studied for a few months and took it again and, and nabs like a 760. What would that do to her scholarship right. dollars and everything else, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Now, that's a good point. And the fact that she's already got the GMAT sort of taken care of, we are mid-November. She's got six weeks to get her ducks in a row. So it's not, you know, there is time to put together great applications, but... I would just sort of caution that, you know, in, 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 in the back, if, if she thinks she can stay where she is a little bit longer, mm-hmm. that that changes her strategy this season right. to potentially go to school this season or set herself up better for next season. Yeah. And the last thing I want to say about this candidate is a little bit of the elephant in the room, which is that she doesn't really have outside activities. I mean, perhaps she did as an undergrad or maybe in law school was doing some things, but she talked a lot about how she spent, I mean, she had to sort of throw herself headlong into yeah. a new culture, new language, and learn how to be a lawyer. And I mean, it is, it's a pretty amazing journey to go from growing up in South Korea to being a state litigator in, in the US, you know, kind of uh, state government level. So, yeah. so I, you know, but I will say, I mean, it's not, I don't know if she has any outside interests or hobbies, but if she were to wait and apply next year, I would work on developing those too, because it, it never hurts. Yeah, but again, as you say, I think her story is going to be a, a real strong, strong aspect of the of the candidacy. Yeah, and if she can demonstrate a desire to get involved um, at, on the MBA campus, that that'll go a long way too in terms of just the admissions reader being able to say, "Oh, if she comes here, these are the things that we know she's going to be doing." So, right. Um, in any event, very great. I mean, really interesting profile. I'm glad that you picked um, her out to, to to discuss, and I appreciate her listening to the show. Hopefully she you know, comes back for another episode to hear the review of her own <laughs> profile. Um, but in any event, yeah, I want to wish her the best of luck and hopefully she'll keep us posted too. Yeah, best of luck. All right, so let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is another ApplyWire entry that you've selected, and this candidate is actually um, not going to be applying until next year. So they're you know, looking to be a member of the class of 26. Uh, they are targeting the trilogy, Harvard, Stanford, and Wharton. That's all they got on the list, at least for now. Uh, they're working in private equity. They want to stay in that domain post-MBA. 
and they talk about working at a place like Bain Capital, Blackstone, Carlyle Group, Goldman Sachs, Principal Investment Group, uh, TPG, KKR. There's a long list here. I'm not going <laughs> to read them all, but it's a lot of the usual suspects. Uh, GPA is a 3.6. They've got four years of work experience. This candidate is located in New York and wants to stay on the East Coast. And they lead off their entry. And now I'm understanding, Alex, maybe why you picked them. They said, it would be awesome if you could make this a wiretap at some point. So here we are, um, which is which is great. And they, they talk about how they have a very blue chip kind of career. They, they did iBanking and now they're in private equity. And they're concerned about differentiating themselves. So we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to kind of unpack that. Um, they talk about how there are a lot of candidates in the pool with similar professional backgrounds and, and goals. They mentioned that they went to a Big Ten school and they studied engineering as an undergrad and that you know they have that 3.6. They mentioned their major GPA is even better at a 3.8. And they talk about um, they think that there could be an interesting investment strategy that they want to pursue in Latin America. Um, tech investing in Latin America, and they mentioned that they are Hispanic, and so they're wondering um, about, you know, what what does that mean in terms of them differentiating themselves? But they're also wondering about um, you know, kind of affirmative action stuff and the Supreme Court debate that is ongoing, right? So, Alex, I'm going to turn it over to you. What do you make of this candidacy? I mean, you know, they're targeting the trilogy, which is always high risk, right? But what do you think of this person's background? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're applying next season, right? So they've got a bit of time to um, yeah. get their ducks in a row. But, um, I mean, they work in investment banking, private equity. That's one way to stand out is is work working in sort of an elite sort of career track. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think that's very good. Um, so, you know, I mean, obviously we don't know what they've been doing in investment banking and private equity, whether it's front-facing or... or in support, so it'd be good to just get a little bit more in terms of their specific roles um, and, and so forth. Um, and I only ask that because they have an engineering degree, so that makes me wonder if they came in on the tech side um, and 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 so forth. So we need to know a little bit more about that. But um, but overall, I think there's a, potentially a lot to like here, um, and you know they're Latino, which is going to help them stand out a little bit and we'll talk we could talk about that supreme court um issue i think um um if, if you like because that's one of the reasons why i want to choose it because i know you've got some um strong opinions on it and and i also have some opinions on it but i think overall i mean you know they they got to take um the the um the gmat uh, or or the gre or whatever um they got to come up with a you know a score in, in the mid 700s because they're applying to these very competitive programs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if there's something about their background from their Latino heritage that helps them stand out, I think they're, they're going to be a very strong candidate. But like you say, if you're only applying to the top three programs, um, there's no wriggle room there. So they might want to look at the, the couple of other programs in that M7. But then the, the other response to that is if they want to get back into private equity, they've really only got to target the very, very best programs because that's going to give them most access to private equity, which is, as, as Harvard's um, career report reveals, um, you know, that's, that's the type of program they need to be at. 
Yeah, it's an interesting situation. I mean, the only thing I would I would kind of throw back at you is if they're already working in PE, does that make the path to PE a bit easier? Like, could they yes. you know go to a non top three yeah. and still navigate their way back? But yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's I mean the GMAT is I think a linchpin here. It'd be good for them to take the test and 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 get a get a good score or or the GRE. But you know whichever it is, they're going to need to stand out there. Yeah, I think that no matter what happens with the Supreme Court. I still think that being Hispanic and having, you know, I, I love the fact that their career goal is a little shaped by maybe their personal background, that they have this yeah. interest in Latin America. Um, they have an angle that they think they can pursue with respect to tech investing in that market. And so, and the reason I mentioned that is because it's not just being Hispanic. It's the, it's, it's all that kind of comes with that in this situation. Like they have this other interest in a market that not everyone in the pool has an interest in. And so I just feel like you know, with MBA admissions, at least, it's such a multivariable kind of equation, the admissions process. And so even if the Supreme Court were to say, oh, you can't favor this over that, it's, it's you know, there's so many potential ways that the admissions committee can um, can build a diverse class, you know? And so I, I don't I don't think that that's going to have a big impact. I think it's yeah. more going to impact the undergraduate space. And um, th that's my view, at least. So I, yeah. I don't know if you, what your take is. And I, I, I'll just add to that. I mean, yeah, being Hispanic, should that get you into a business school? If non-Hispanic, you wouldn't have got into, gotten into, I say no anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but what it's about is the building blocks. Like what was, what has life been like for you at being Hispanic versus someone that's Caucasian? That's where the nuance is. So Caucasian candidate might've had better access to stuff along their life journey versus a Hispanic candidate or another minority, ethnic minority candidate or whatever. So it's all about the story and the life journey, not about whether you're black or white or whatever the, 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 the thing is. I mean, you know, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're an ethnic minority, for example, you've probably faced some level of discrimination, whether it's explicit discrimination or implicit discrimination or whatever it is, and how you've had to overcome those challenges. Those are the stories that are interesting to add calm, rather than the fact that you are an underrepresented minority. Mm -hmm. So yeah. maybe you were passed over for, for certain promotions, or maybe you had to work harder to get those promotions. And that's the same with gender diversity too. It's not just because you're female that you should be given advantage. It's because you're female, your journey for your successes might've been a little bit harder. Maybe there weren't the same mentors mm -hmm. at your workplace to give you that pathway forward, right. et cetera, et cetera. So always focus on your story. And the fact that you are a minority or, or an underrepresented gen or whatever it is, um, you know, that should just, that, I mean, that might, I don't know if it, to say this particularly correctly, but you get what I'm saying, Graham. It's yeah, like, no, I hear you. Yeah, it's the life story, not which bucket you fall in that's going to, you know, gain you admission or, or and so forth to to, to the particular program. So I, whichever yeah. way the Supreme Court goes for MBA admissions, that life story is more important. Just as you've you've talked about, Graham, is yeah. you know there's many more variables that they can look at when you're doing admissions for undergrad. You just have so many fewer data points right. to to make judgments on. Yeah, and actually, I think you've underlined a really important admissions lesson here, which is. You know, let's let's even put aside if someone is a minority or not. Um, 
it's all about, you need to focus on your story, right? I mean, that's right. how you get into business school. So even if you're Joe White guy or, you know, someone who's, you know, kind of overrepresented in the pool, I mean, this is something we hear over and over again from admissions folks. Just stop worrying about that and just worry about like, what is your story? Like, what have you yeah. experienced? I mean, not there, there's no two candidates that are actually alike, right? So, um, so it's really important to kind of focus on that. And and I, I like I think this person has all the building blocks of a great candidacy. I mean, they have really interesting work experience, solid GPA, um, in a challenging major, right? And and so they need a test score, and hopefully that'll go well. But I also love the career goals. They, they've got a good head on their shoulders. They kind of know what they want to do. It's differentiated. So I think this person's going to do well. I, I just, yeah, and they have a little time, as you say, to, yeah. um, to get their ducks in a row. So I think they're going to be fine. I guess I would posit that since they're coming from PE, they may, depending on how the GMAT or GRE goes, they may want to think about more than just three schools. Um, but that'd be something to assess once they've got a test score and are kind of getting closer to, you know, the actual application season for next year. But in any event, I, I feel like they're going to land at one of these um, top schools if, if all goes well with the test. Yeah, yeah. Best of luck to them. All right. So, um, yeah, let's move on and talk about Wiretaps candidate number three. So our final entry this week is a candidate who wants to start school in the fall. Um, they've got eight schools on the list, and those schools include Arizona State, uh, which is uh, W.P. Carey. They've got Columbia, Cornell, Dartmouth, UCLA Anderson, Wharton, USC Marshall, and Yale SOM. Um, this person's been working for a few years now um, as a kind of, well, they've been working at an expert network firm. Uh, which I'm not as familiar with what these are, but they mentioned GuidePoint, Alpha Sites. I guess these are um, kind of, it's, I think it's adjacent to consulting where they're, you know, they're providing expertise to companies. And so they've done things like worked in client services uh, as a research manager and, and now as a project manager. So um, they want to pivot into consulting or maybe asset management after business school. It seems like they're not really sure. And so as a result, they've got like Accenture and Deloitte on the list, but they also have Vanguard <laughs> on the list. Um, so we'll talk more about that. GMAT score is a 720. Their GPA is a 3.05, which they earned as a social science major from what they describe as a lower Ivy. Um, and they mentioned Cornell, Brown, Dartmouth. I didn't, I, I haven't heard that term, but I guess that's, yeah, I guess there is a ranking within the Ivies. Um, uh, they've got four years of total experience. They're located in Phoenix, Arizona, and they would actually like to stay in that region, um, ideally in that city, after business school, which is probably why they've got Arizona State on the on the list. Uh, they also indicate that they're you know they're, they've done well at work. They're now managing like five to seven research projects at a time for institutional clients in the hedge fund, consulting, and private equity spaces. So that that's probably why there might be a little bit of a marriage of oh, do I do consulting or do I go work in, in finance in some capacity uh, in terms of their goals? Uh, in any event, I'll kind of stop there. But what do you make of this candidacy? And, and the last tidbit that I totally forgot is that they are a first-generation Latino, they say. Yeah, yeah. And again, being first-generation Latino is, is, is about sort of what, what, what's the story behind that now in terms of, you know, they, they were first to go to college. That might have had an impact on that 3.05 GPA mm-hmm. um, and, and so on and so forth, right? Um, but th- this is really interesting, Graham. They've got 720 GMAT. They, they've probably got quite good work experience, I'm, I'm thinking, right? Yeah, it seems, um, yeah, good progression. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a little bit concerned, obviously, about the GPA. So, they, you know, if, they, if they're really targeting the top programs... They, They've probably got to do something about that, whether it's doing MBA math or HBS core or something like that to sort mm-hmm. of 
um, shore things up. But I guess I'll just punch a question directly back at you. If they want to remain um, in Phoenix, Arizona, i.e. they've decided this is exactly where they want to be for the rest of their lives. Not that there's anything wrong with that choice. I'm not, I'm not thing. But does that make... <laughs> it sounds Arizona... like a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, All right. but does that make Arizona State a really compelling choice? Let's say they could get a full scholarship at Arizona State or go to an, a top 16 sort of M7 program. Does that make Arizona State particularly appealing for this candidate? I mean, I think you cannot deny the value of that program in that market. I mean, first of yeah. all, I mean, Cary is a good school. I mean, it's a top, you know, I, mean, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have the ranking in front of me, but it's it's not like it's a completely off the map, you know, school and it's in a market that they want to work in. And so that does carry a lot of weight, no pun intended. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's still, you know, if you were to tell me that they got into UCLA uh, or even, and it's, this is not on their list, but UT Austin. I mean, there are some schools with strengths and placements in the Southwest that, you know, that are higher ranking. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I think they would need to consider both, but you do point out, I mean, obviously if they, if they get a great scholarship or there, you know, there should be, could be some compelling reasons to, um, to attend. I think, you know, it, it would be harder to get back to Phoenix from some of these other schools on their list. Right. So it's, yeah, it's a little tricky. Um, and, and, you know, they want to do consulting. So. Yeah, and it's, it's not getting back to Phoenix. I think they can get back to Phoenix. That That's fine. But is there a, a, an alumni culture for some of these top programs in Phoenix, like there would be for Arizona State, or like you say, UT Austin mm -hmm. um, and, and UCLA and so on and so forth? So I think that's quite an important thing to look at. And that does make um, Arizona State a compelling choice. Because when I first looked at the school selection, I was like, well, that's a little bit broad. And, and so on mm -hmm. and so forth. But it does make sense. Um, and that 720G match is going to be very helpful for them, um, especially getting scholarship maybe at a school like Arizona State. Um, I would want to know what the breakout of that GMAT is um, in terms of the quant side, especially because they did a social science degree with a 3.05, because that gets back to the idea that maybe MBA math or whatever would be useful for them to do. Um, but there's a lot to like here. I think they should you know, be be punching out around that sort of top 16 M7 um, type tiers. But I get why Arizona State's right in the mix here. Yeah, I, I agree. And I was just taking a peek, you know, I mean, Arizona State, um, they were ranked 29th by U.S. News. Um, so in the most recent U.S. News and World Report ranking. So, you know, it's a top 30 MBA program in a big market and, and probably the dominant, you know, alumni network in that market. Right. So, Certainly something to consider. What I would do if I were them as well is just like, you know, they have some schools on their list that are not in that market, you know, whether it's Tuck or Yale or, you know, a lot of good schools, right? But they, they could do some digging and see, you know, is there an active alumni club for the program in question in that market and, and get a feel for that. But I, I do, I, the first thing I thought of when I saw the GPA was, yeah, l like you had written on, on Applywire, like what is the breakdown of the GMAT so that we can get a better sense of that. And I, I also want to know if there's any context, you know, so as we say, they're first generation. And so perhaps they, you know, arrived at an Ivy League school um, and struggled in their first year, which I mean, happens to lots of candidates, right? So yeah. it would just be good to know, like, is there context? Like, is there an upward trend in the GPA? I also, they didn't specify, but they say they're a social science major. And I, my first thought was, okay, are they, is this like, 
um, you know, econ, because that that would be good, right? Econ's very very relevant to to business. Um, but or is it something else? Like, you know, I, I don't know. And so it's it's hard. We don't have all the kind of pieces here to really put it together. Right. But but I do like the candidacy. Like I think that it it sounds like they've had a really interesting career progression with lots of promotions and a good amount of responsibility right now. And yeah, I mean, I I think that there's a, there's there's a lot of potential here. I just I, I agree with you that they need to do something on the 3.05, whether that's writing an essay to explain the circumstances, taking MBA math, you know, better. I'd love to know, as you say, the the GMAT breakdown. Like th these are all pieces that we don't have that would help us to advise this person. Yeah, yeah, but very good, very good. Yeah, so I think they're gonna, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I, I, I like that they have the spread of schools on the list, you know, from, you know, so, so we'll see. Um, I do want to thank them for posting uh, on the on the site and all three candidates. Really interesting this week. I, I feel like I say this every week, but you know, here we are. We've profiled over five hundred candidates across, you know, one hundred and seventy six wiretaps episodes. But I feel like I learned something, or we get to make a point that helps, you know, folks on their admissions journey week in and week out. And that's really, you know, a testament to you picking out really good entries for us to review, Alex. So I appreciate the work you do on this. <laughs> I'll tell you, they, they, must, they must have been good good this week, Grant, because we've waffled on for 40, nearly 44 minutes. So we I know. need to close yeah. up. I know, I know. <laughs> all right, so we'll be back in one week's time uh, to do this all over again. But appreciate it, Alex. And yeah, we'll see you soon. <laughs> Brilliant. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. Good luck.